for shock and all purposes. He, he wasn't just trying to rile people up. Jesus said some astonishing things. He makes some astonishing claims because he wanted to shock and awe people about who he was, about what he could do. And he wanted to show people that he is the truth. And so today we are continuing our study in John chapter 5. And we are going to look at um, shock and awe statements, some claims about Jesus. Now, as I proceed through this message, the question you've got to answer to yourself is, am I willing to believe or not believe these claims? That's a question only you can answer. Do you and can you believe that when we go through these five claims, can you believe them or not? Because here's the reality. The claims that Jesus is making in, the, in, in this text is not just foundational for the Christian faith. It has any, an effect on your life in the here and now and eternity. And what you believe about these claims affects both now and forever. And so as I proceed through these five claims, I would ask you to continue just ask yourself, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe this? And so today we're going to look at these five claims. And let's start with this first claim that Jesus is going to make here in John chapter 5, and it's this. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be equal with God. Now, in the context, we've got to get context, because I always say this context is king. From John chapter 5, verse 1, all the way to John chapter 5, verse 47, it is one context, okay? The past few weeks, we have been in John chapter 5, 1 through 16, because this is where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he goes to this place, this town, or he goes to Jerusalem, and he goes to a pool. And as I said, it was probably a natural spring, but this pool was surrounded, and there were a multitude, as John chapter 5, verse 3 says, a multitude of invalids or disabled people. Because these people believed that there were healing properties with the water. That if they could get into the water, they would be healed of whatever they, they had a problem. And so there were a multitude of people who were blind, lame, and paralyzed. They couldn't see, they couldn't walk, they couldn't move. And that's what we looked at over the past few weeks, that spiritually we're all like that. Well, here's the problem. Jesus comes to this one guy, and, and, and he, he, he comes to, to, to Brad, and he's like, Hey, Brad, I see you've been here for 38 years. Yeah, I'm using Brad. Is that okay? <laughs> Former student of mine and when I was youth ministry, so I can pick on her like that. And so he comes to Brad, and he's like, Hey, I see you've been here for 38 years. Do you want to get well? And he's like, I, I really do, but no one will put me in the water. And Jesus is like, well, I tell you what, I'm not going to put you in the water because that's not going to heal you. But what I have to say will heal you. Get up and walk. Take your mat and go home. And boom, the guy gets up. He rolls up his mat and he's like all excited and he's walking away. And that in that moment, hey, do you remember what day that took place on? The Sabbath. That's important. Because in the Jewish culture, back in Jesus' day, the Sabbath was the holy day. And you did nothing on the Sabbath. Okay, And, and if you remember, in one of the messages I even said that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious rulers, the religious police, actually added even more laws to the Sabbath to confine and restrict the, the, what the people did on it. 
And so one of the, the, the laws that they incorporated was you couldn't carry anything on the, on the Sabbath. So this guy's carrying his mat, and he's, he's pulled over right away. And they're like, dude, why are you carrying your mat? It, it's unlawful to do that. You're breaking the Sabbath, and, and you're sinning. And he's like, well, uh, the guy who healed me told me to do this. And they're like, well, who is this guy? And he didn't know at first, and then he finds out it was Jesus. And he goes back to the Pharisees. He's like, oh, Jesus told me to walk. So the Pharisees approach Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 16, this is where we start getting into the context of our first point. It says, so Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath. In verse 16, it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. The Jews, the the Pharisees, the, 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 the religious leaders, they're like the bully on the playground. All right. And how many of you know, the bullies pick out the weak people. They pick out who can we antagonize? Who can we go after? The Pharisees, these bullies, found their person, Jesus. We're going to go after him. And they began persecuting him. Now, how many of you know at that point, Jesus could have been like, you know what? I'm not even going to stand here and listen to this. And he could have walked away. You ever tell your kids like that? When your kids are small, hey, if you ever get in a confrontation, do what? Just walk away. Jesus doesn't walk away. Everybody say he didn't walk away. He didn't walk away. In fact, if you look at verse 17, and Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. First shock and awe statement. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, God's working today. And guess who else is? I'm working today. That would have been a complete shock and awe statement to them because they're like, oh, nobody works on the Sabbath. But God would have been because God's still sustaining the world. God can't take a day off. How many of you know even if God takes a moment, the universe falls apart? He would have been still sustained. And guess what else he was working on the Sabbath for? Redeeming people. Lost people. At the fall, people were lost. And from that point, God never stopped working to redeem people, to find lost people and to bring them back. And so Jesus shocks and awes them with the statement. But here's where verse 18 comes into play. It says, this is why the Jews were now seeking all the more to kill him. They've gone from just persecuting, from the bully just calling names, to the bully throwing punches. They're like, now we need to kill this guy. And here's why. Because not was he only breaking the Sabbath, which got them all up in arms, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. You see, what Jesus should have said, he goes, oh, by the way, he should have said, our father is working today. He doesn't. He says, my father. And the moment he said, my father, just what verse 18, he just now equaled himself to the father. When he equals himself to the father, what he is saying to these guys, he's like, oh, I am God. Shock and awe. These guys would have been flabbergasted. They would have been knocked off their heels at that statement. At that moment, Jesus reveals his deity. He's like, I'm not just the son. 
I'm not just a guy. I am the Almighty. I am God. And, and he throws that at their statement, at their face. As my father is working, so am I. Now, how many of you know, after Jesus made that statement, he could have walked away. He could have shocked and awed them, and he could have seen the look on their faces and went, that's what I was looking for, and walked away. But he doesn't. Everybody say, he didn't walk away. He didn't walk away. He didn't drop it. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly. That's going to be, you're going to see that, those two little words um, three different times. Jesus is basically saying, you better listen to what I have to say here. Because this is vitally important. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now he's comparing himself as God the Son to God the Father, all right? Now, he is saying the Son, me, I can't do anything by myself. Now, he is not saying he doesn't have the power to do anything. What he's saying is, me as the Son, I am so intimately close with God the Father, I do nothing independently. Man, wouldn't that be amazing as a believer? That you are so close in relationship to God that you do nothing independently. That's where he was. He's like, I don't do anything independently. I do everything that God the Father wants me to do. But notice he says, he, he, he's like, this is where I'm at. I am in such close relationship, such close proximity as the son to the father. That I can't do anything apart from him. You see, these statements would have been shocking and awing these Pharisees because they would have been like, no, 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 no. We know God. You can't tell me you know more about God than we do. That's impossible. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's like, I am so close to the Father that you can't even begin to fathom it. But notice, look at verse 20. He says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. You see, he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, I'm going to blow your minds here, guys. The father shows the son what he's doing. What Jesus is basically doing, this is a major shock in all statement. He goes, I get to see into heaven. I know what God the father is doing right now. I see what God the Father is doing. And here's the thing. Um, not only do I get to see what God the Father is doing, but God the Father lets me do what he is doing. Oh, and by the way, that's not enough. Um, he's going to let me do even greater things. And when you start to see all of this, he goes, you're going to marvel. Shock and awe. He's like, guys, you don't even have a clue of what it means to be loved by the Father. You don't have a clue of what it means to have a relationship with God. You don't have a clue what God is truly doing, but I do. And the real reason why Jesus knew all this was because he was God. Can you believe that? Can you believe? Can you see? There's, there, here's the thing. There's a lot of people that believe God, that Jesus was divine in some way. 
There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus was truly a remarkable man. There's people that believe that Jesus was some kind of prophet. There's people that believe that Jesus, he was a miracle worker. But they cannot pass the chasm, get past the, the, the gap of Jesus being a man and Jesus being God. It's too much. Well, here's the thing. The Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God, but three distinct persons. You have God, but God the Father. God, God the Son. God, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct individuals, but yet all of them were God. How many of you know intellectually you and I can't figure that out? Intellectually, I cannot understand how there's one God, but yet there's still three individual distinct individuals, persons. I can't figure that out. Now, here's the thing about believing this. You don't need to figure that out. You don't have to figure out intellectually and try to diagram this thing and go, okay, I see how it works. I can believe that. The reality is you and I may never understand how the Trinity works on this side of heaven. It's up to you and I to say, can I believe this? Can I believe that, yeah, there is one God, but there is three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. One, but yet three. Can you believe that? Jesus makes the claim that he is equal to God. Here's the second claim that Jesus makes. Jesus claimed to be the source of eternal life. He claims to be the source of eternal life. Now, in points two, three, four, and five, I'm actually going to break apart the text, not verse by verse, but I'm going to break it, break it apart chronologically, how these verses play out in your life and my life. All right? So the next verse we're going to look at is verse 21. And let's see how Jesus is the source of eternal life. In verse 21, he says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, here's the thing about reading these texts on your own. You can read these things and go, I really don't know what he's talking about. This is why it's good to come to church and hear something like this broken apart. Okay? Because let me ask you, by the raise your hand, how many of you could sit there and explain that and go, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about? It's kind of hard, isn't it? As the Father raises them from the dead and gives them life, so the Son has the, the power to give them life. What in the world, Jesus, are you talking about? Here's what he's talking about. When he talks about the Father raising people from the dead and giving them life, he is talking about simultaneously two different this is going to be weird to say, two different raising from the dead and bringing the dead back to life. Two simultaneous ones in this statement. One is this, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to say what it is, and then I'm going to expound on it in one of my points here in just a few moments. One is that Jesus is talking about when he says the Father will raise people from the dead and give them life. He's talking about the physical bodily resurrection of people from the grave. And that your body one day will come back to life. And I'm going to show you that here in a few moments. So just 
kind of put that on the shelf for right now. But here's the second thing that Jesus is referring to about raising to life, raising the dead and giving them life. Spiritual. A spiritual resurrection and spiritual life. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that you and I, apart from Christ, without Christ, spiritually speaking, you are dead. Spiritually. You have physical life. You have breath in your lungs, a heartbeat in your chest, but without Christ, spiritually, you are dead in the grave. The Bible makes that very clear. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says you were dead in your trespasses. In Romans 3.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Okay? Spiritual death. Spiritual death is that, spiritually speaking, you are dead before God. You are disconnected from God. You have no spiritual life. You have no righteousness on your own. Before God, you are eternally separated. Before God, you, you are disconnected from him. That's what spiritual death is. You have physical life, but spiritually, you are dead. That's apart from Christ. But the good news is this. It says, Jesus says, but God raises the dead and gives them life spiritually. But how does that happen? Well, Jesus gives us the answer there in the text. Again, verse twenty. One, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. You see, God raises the dead, the spiritually dead, and gives us life through the son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the source of spiritual life. I am. You see, in the book of Ephesians, it says, but God... Even when we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made alive together with Christ. You see, it's because of Jesus, it's what he did on the cross that makes us alive in him. But the question is, you notice Jesus says, he goes, I give life to those whom I will. Then who gets it? Is he just going, eeny, meeny, miny, mo? I will give you life to you and not to you. So who gets it? Well, the answer is in verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly. Important statement or not so important? Important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, how many is whoever? Anyone, whoever, say, I'm whoever. I am a whoever, hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So here's the whoever I will give it to is this. Whoever hears my word. What Jesus means is when you hear what I've had to say. 
Now, when he talks about hearing, he doesn't mean just let it go in your ears and, you know, one ear and out the other and just move on. What that word hear means is to accept it, to receive it, to take it in. So when you hear his word, the word is right here, okay? The word is the gospel, that when you hear that Jesus came to die on a cross for the sin of the world, he came to be the Savior. And when his word says that it, in, in, the, in the book of Romans says that you are justified, you are saved by faith. Ephesians says it's not by works that you are saved, but by grace and through faith in Christ. So when you hear that and you, you, you're like, I get that. And you receive it. You, you accept that truth. You don't just marry like, eh, whatever. No, you accept it. You take it in. And it touches your heart. That's hearing. But notice the other part. He says, and believes him, believes that God sent me to do this work. So you hear the truth of the gospel. You hear the truth when it's preached to you. You hear that Jesus died for your sin. You hear that you are a sinner. You are spiritually dead on your own. But in Christ, you can be made alive. And when you believe that God did this, you, you, you believe, meaning it's not just believing in God. It's believing that God did this. It's believing that Jesus is just not one other way. He is the only way. He's not just a truth. He is the truth. He's not just some kind of life. He is the life. And when you believe that God sent Christ to die for your sin, and you believe that, and you hear that, and you receive it, you take it in, and you come to the place where you like, God I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. I believe I am a sinner and I am dead. Jesus, I need you. I need you to make me alive. You see, it's in that moment that John, as we've already studied in John chapter 3, Jesus talks about being born again, spiritually. And when you come to know Christ as your Savior, guess what? You are raised to life. You are no longer spiritually dead. Now you're spiritually alive. Meaning now you are connected with God. You have life with God. You have hope for eternity. You have eternal life. In fact, if you look at the last part of verse 24, Jesus says, when the person who hears and believes me, it says he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The judgment, I'm going to get into that also in one of my points. But Jesus says you've passed from death to life. You were dead, but now you're alive. Isn't that amazing grace that we sing? I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I... You see, it's all about Christ. He is the source. Look at verse... 25, truly, truly, there's the third one. I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here. He's talking about himself. He, he's like, he's like, it's kind of like a forward prophecy that's already been met. He's like, he's he, because the Old Testament prop of the Old Testament 
prophesied about Jesus. And he's like, I'm telling you, time is coming. The things that you already heard about is coming. Oh, by the way, it's already here. I am he. I am what you know. And he goes on and he says, he says, I'm telling you, an hour is coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. You see, God the Father transferred to Jesus all the, the authority to give life to you and me. If all... All of humanity is spiritually dead because of sin. All of humanity is separated from God because of sin. All of humanity deserves eternal punishment because of sin. But God the Father loved the world, loved us so much that he gave Jesus his only son so that you and I, through him, by hearing the truth and believing in him, can pass from death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life. Why? Because Jesus is the source. He's not a source. He's the source. He's going to make that claim here in John chapter 14. I already said it. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm telling you, you are still spiritually dead before God, spiritually separated. The question you've got to ask is, can I believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus is the only way? Can I believe that I can't get there on my way? Can I be, do I believe that there is no other way but only through Jesus? Only you can answer that. And that's a very important question to be able to answer and ask because it takes us right into our next point. What you believe about Jesus being the source affects point number three. And point number three is this. Jesus claimed to be able to exhume the dead. Now, if you notice, all my points are E words. Okay? Um, this is going to be talking about resurrection. I couldn't really find a good E word for the word resurrection except exhume. It just... I just thought it sounded good. Like, I like that word. That works. And so even Paula challenged me on like Friday. She's like, is there another word? I'm like, nope, there's not. <laughs> She's like, ah, run with it. So Jesus will exhume you from the grave. Look at verses 28 and 29. Jesus says to these guys, he says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all. I would circle that word all in your Bible. When all who are in the tombs, will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Notice he uses the word resurrection twice. There are two resurrections that the Bible, that the Bible talks about. Two bodily resurrections. Jesus, I'm telling you, this is a very important doctrine in the New Testament. It is talked about a lot. Okay, And Jesus, this would have been a shock and awe statement to these guys because there would have been people in Jesus' time um, who were the rulers who didn't believe in a resurrection. They decide, no, when your body's in the grave, your body remains there. And Jesus is like, no, it won't. And he proves it because he raises from the dead and he becomes the first fruit of that. 
And so Jesus is saying, he's like, um, every person is going to experience this thing. Here's, here is, what's the one thing that every person who has ever lived around the world, every single person, past, present, and future, every person experiences one thing. What is it? Death. You can't escape it. That thing will come to knock on all of our doors one of these days. And when this body is dead, that's when real life takes place. Because right now, you and I have the hope of changing our course. And when you and I die physically, this body goes into the grave. And that body's going to lay in the grave and tell one of two resurrections. And Jesus says one resurrection is going to be resurrected to life, and one resurrection is going to be resurrected onto condemnation. So what's the difference? The resurrection of life is what happens with the point in number two. What did you do with Jesus on this side of heaven? Did you or did you not believe in Christ? Did you believe in self? Did you live for self? Because that's what sin is. Sin is living for self. Sin is saying, I, I don't need Jesus. I can do this. My, I, can do, I can get to heaven on my own. I don't need his help. And that's what you're banking on. Or you came to the place where you realize I am a sinner and I'm separated and I am jacked if I don't know Christ. And you come to the place where you've accepted Christ. Your decision with Jesus affects you which, which resurrection you're going to face. If you know Christ is your Savior, you came to the place to repent of your sin. You've come to the place where you admitted, I am a sinner. I'm separated from God. I am spiritually dead. Jesus, make me alive. I need you to be my Savior. You've accepted him. You will experience the first resurrection. He mentions the resurrection unto life. That resurrection is going to take place, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at an event called the rapture. See, here's, how many of you know the world just seems like it's just get careening out of control, right? The, Jesus makes it very clear that he's coming back again. He came once, he's coming twice. And he says, when, I get, when, I, when, I, my, when, I, when I'm getting close to coming again, you're going to see things like birth pains. Things in the world are going to intensify to a degree that you're going to be like, what in the world is happening? He's just like, just like a woman about to give birth, the birth pains will intensify. I don't know about you, but things just seem to be intensifying in our world day after day. Now, again, the second coming of Christ could be years down the road, decades. How many of you know God's God and he will send Jesus when he's ready? But signs are there. A woman, when she has that first labor pain, isn't sitting there. No, I think labor's another five months away. I think I'll give birth. No, she knows it's imminent. I believe the signs are, are, are imminent saying Jesus is near. So this thing called the rapture, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 and 17. Paul, the apostle Paul, writes this to the church, and he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And what he means by that, he goes, Jesus told me this. A word from the Lord. It's not like he just one day, just like, I think I'm going to write this. He, sometime the Spirit of God spoke to him so clearly that he wrote this down. He says that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Those words caught up together as actually, that references what is called the rapture. It says we'll be caught up, we'll be raptured with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Notice he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ are those who on this side of heaven, before Jesus returns, have died. Those who knew Jesus, those who came to the place, they accepted Christ, they, 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 that he was their savior, they died, they go into the grave. At this event, Jesus is going to partially ascend, descend out of heaven, and with a voice of the archangel, he's going to say, come up here. And those who died in Christ, who are in the grave, been cremated, whatever you want to do, in the, wherever they're at, their body is coming out. But here's the awesome part. The body that if you are a believer now that you die with is going to be glorified. So I'm really hoping I have no chubbiness going on. <laughs> with my glorified body. But here's the great part. How many of you have ailments in your body? I sit and think about Christians like, like Johnny Erickson Tata, who has been paralyzed from the next down since she was the age of 17. But as a believer, being a quadriplegic, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, doing everything for Jesus, one day that body will be laid in the grave. But when Jesus says, come up, that body will be glorified and she will walk on streets of gold in heaven. You see, that's the body that's going to resurrect. And when you, when you know Christ, you'll, you, you die. And that's why, that's why as believers, Paul says, when you go to a funeral as a believer, man, we, we don't grieve like we have no hope because we know this body isn't going to stay there. When you die, your body goes to the grave, your spirit goes into heaven. And at that moment, when Jesus descends, we come back with him partially. He says, come up, and your dead body raises as a glorified body, meeting your spirit again in the air. Boom, back to heaven. Now, if you are alive, as Paul says, when the rapture takes place, guess what? You're going to be taken up out of here. Even Jesus says this. He goes, there's going to be a time when there will be two women working in the field. One will be taken. One will be left behind. There will be two people doing this. One will be taken. One will be left behind. The taken people are those who know him and live for him. Those who left behind, unfortunately, will go through the tribulation are those who don't know Christ. We have hope of knowing that if I know Jesus now, I will be raised to life. But notice he says it's those who do good. When he says it's those who do good, he's not talking about you doing good works. The doing good means is that you, it, it is everything you did in faith. The good you did in faith, that, that you came to Christ by faith. You served him by faith. You worked for him by faith. You lived for him by faith. Everything that is good in faith in Christ, that is what he's talking about. And those are the people that we will be resurrected unto life. But notice the second group of people. He says, those also who have done evil. 
The evil is not talking about people who are wicked and have done really bad things. These are people who have not chosen to live for Christ, who rejected Christ, who said, I don't need to live for Christ. It says they will be resurrected unto judgment. Now, I need to stop right there on that point because that right there leads us into the next claim that Jesus makes. So Paul says there's going to be some judgment that's happening or Jesus says there's going to be people going to judgment. Here's the fourth claim Jesus makes. Jesus claimed to be the one who will execute judgment. He claims that he will be the one who will judge the living and the dead. In verse 22, Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Look at verse 27. And he, God, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Again, just like there's two resurrections, there are going to be two judgments. Just like there are two resurrections, one to life, one to condemnation, there are going to be two judgments, one for believers, one for unbelievers. The judgment for believers is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It is the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where believers will stand before Jesus in heaven. You're not going to be judged for your sin. This is not, this, this is not the time where Jesus is going to find out and go, oh, you're a sinner, you're gone. No. If you know Jesus right now, your sin has been dealt with on the cross. Okay, The wrath of God has been dealt with on the cross. So if you know Jesus is a Savior, you're in heaven. But you will be judged for what you did as a believer. How did you build his kingdom? What did you do in this life for Christ? You're going to be judged on that and you will be rewarded accordingly. Still go to heaven, but you're going to have rewards. Crowns of life. And those will be rewarded to you as a believer at the judgment seat of Christ. But what if you're an unbeliever? Jesus says, as I said, at the resurrections, there will be some resurrected to life, some resurrected to condemnation. So like I said, for a believer, your body will remain in the grave and you will remain your spirit in heaven until the rapture and they both come together and go back to heaven. The dead, spiritually dead, those who don't know Christ, they die, what the Bible says, in their sin. And at that moment, their body goes into the grave. But there's another place where the spirit goes. And this is what Revelation chapter 20 talks, a place called Hades. This is where, if you remember Jesus talking about um, the, a, rich, a rich man and a poor man by the name of Lazarus. It says that Lazarus went to Abraham's side, but the rich man went to hell or Hades. It's like a holding cell until the final judgment. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. This is the final judgment that will take place, the final resurrection for the dead, for the spiritually dead, for those who don't know Christ. I sit and read this, and it's an, it's an awesome scene, but it's a tragic scene. In Revelation chapter 20, starting with verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great throne, and him who was seated on it. Let me ask you, who's the him? Jesus is. 
Because Jesus said, God judges no one. He's given the authority for judgment to the Son. So this is Jesus. Jesus is, again, the judge here. And this judgment is taking place at the end of all time. When God is ready about to destroy all of everything and recreate a new heaven and a new earth, this is the final judgment for those who were dead in their sin. In verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, both physically dead and spiritually dead, great and small, powerful people, poor people, rich people, it doesn't matter. Anybody who was dead spiritually are here. And they're standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, the physical dead, and death and Hades. Death and Hades is really just synonymous saying like the sea, the bodies come up out of the sea, the bodies come up out of the graves. Hades is where the dead spirit dwells for now. And Hades is going to give that up. And all, and here's what's going to happen. Just like, just like I said, the believer's body's in the grave. The believer's body's spirit in heaven come back together. Guess what's happening at this judgment? The body of the spiritually dead's being resurrected from wherever they are. And their spirit is being resurrected, coming together once again. And they will stand before Jesus at the great white throne. And they will be judged And so he says, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the, the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And here's the key. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life. Jesus is all about life. He says, he says, God raises them from the dead and gives them life. I give them life. If you don't know Christ, you don't have spiritual life. If you don't have spiritual life, your name is not written in the book of life. The only way your name gets into the book of life is you got to have spiritual life. And the only way you get spiritual life is through Christ as your Savior. I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of people standing before Jesus at this judgment. And they're going to go, he's going to go, oh, wow, look at, look at all your works. The resumes are going to be laid out. All the books, man, they're going to be open. But then the final book will be opened. And he will whip through the pages. And he will look for a name. Not there. I don't know you. I don't know you because your name's not in the book of life. Yeah, you did a lot of great things because I got these books too. And you were awesome in life, except you missed one thing. You were spiritually dead your whole life. And spiritually dead people can't be with my father. And I don't see your name in here. You see, that's why Hebrews chapter 9 says, You are appointed unto death once. And then after that, it's on to judgment. You see, it's only in this life that you get a chance to make it right spiritually. It's only in this life you get a chance to either turn to Christ or turn away from him. It's only in this life you get one shot at this thing. Am I going to risk it saying, I don't need Jesus, I can do this myself, or Jesus, you're the only way. 
What resurrection you face and what judgment you face is determined by you right now. I can't make that for you. Your spouse can't make for that for you. Your parent can't make that for you. Your kids can't make it for Only you. Only you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ by yourself or the great white throne judgment by yourself. You're not going to have a tag team. Which judgment will you be at? Which resurrection will you be at? Only you can determine that right now, and that is by what you believe. And then lastly, the last claim, Jesus claimed to be worthy of exaltation. He claimed to be worthy of exaltation. Look at verse 23. After he says that the Father has given him all judgment, verse 23, he says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Shock and all statement right there. He's like, hey, 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 just as you honor and worship God, guess who you need to honor and worship? Me. Because he is, I am. He's God, so am I. So if you honor him, you better honor me. But if you don't honor me, you're not honoring him because he and I are one. You see, Jesus at that moment, he is just making a grand statement. I am the I am. I am God Almighty. I am what I am everything that scripture has been pointing toward. I deserve the honor and the worship just as much as God does because I and he are the same. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the source of eternal life. I am the one who will resurrect people out of the graves. I am the one who will sit on the judgment seat and judge everybody. I am. And that is why I am worthy to be honored. You see, and as a believer... As a believer in Jesus, worship team, you can come on up. As a believer in Jesus, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have every reason to stand and say, worthy are you, Jesus. Because I have nothing apart from you. But in you, I have everything. In you, I have eternal life. In you, I have a hope. In you, I know that this body, it it dies. I will be with you. And one day you're going to resurrect me and my body's going to be glorified. I will be with you forever. That makes you and I get and gives us a reason to honor him, to worship him, and to declare he's worthy. But now let me go back to the question I asked at the very beginning of this message. What do you believe? I gave you five claims of Jesus. What do you believe? If you believe in Jesus, you're okay. If you believe Jesus, that he's your savior, and you've confessed him, and you said, Jesus, be part of my life, he's forgiven you of all your sin. But if you've never Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask Jesus to come into your life. If you've never made that, heard the news and, and come to that place of believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if you're banking on your good works, you're banking on yourself, you're banking on what you can do to get to heaven, you will come up empty once you die. Right now is your only time. 
if you don't know Jesus, or maybe you did at one time and you've just walked away from him and you're like, I, all you got to do is just come back to the place and say, Jesus, forgive me. Just wash me and cleanse me. If, you don't, if you've never accepted Jesus, it is so simple. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe what Jim said today. I, I know I can't get there by myself. I believe that you came to die for my sin, and I believe that, that it's only in you, so Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my life. Change me. Do a work in me that I can't do because I, I want to make sure I'm with you. That's how easy that is. ABC. Accept that you're a believer or a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you and confess him as your Savior. A, B, C. That's simple. So if you would close your eyes, just bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. If you would, just stand with me. We're going to get ready to close with that song of just worthy to Jesus. Today, I, I, with your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. You've heard the gospel today. You've heard the truth. As Jesus said, I give eternal life to those whom I will, those who hear and believe. You've heard the truth. Now it's up to you to believe it. If you don't know Jesus today as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never come to the place where you've repented of your sin and turned from it, if you've never accepted Jesus and asked him into your life and say, be my savior, would you want to do that today? This is your opportunity. Could be your last opportunity. Don't let it pass. If you don't know Jesus is your savior today, just lift your hand because I want to pray with you. Would there be here and say, Jim, that is me. I don't know Christ, but I want to know him today. These guys, just start playing. Let's start singing. I'm going to stand up here. And while we're all singing, if you don't know Jesus, because I'm not going to close this door until we walk out of here. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to just stand up here. I want you to come up here and pray with me. Because I want you to have that opportunity to Christ as your Savior. Go ahead.